Galatians chapter 3. I want to read one verse. And I want to speak to you this morning. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you. That you should not obey the truth. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ. Was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Let me read that to you again. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Father, thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for your anointing that is here. I thank you for your spirit that is at work. And I thank you, God, for the word that is now being released. And I pray, God, that you will help me to communicate as you have put in my heart May every ear be open to hear, every heart receptive to receive. I give you praise and I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you on this topic this morning as God has put on my heart. The bewitching of a generation. The bewitching of a generation. I want you to see something with this church when Paul speaks to them. He wasn't belittling them in any mo- at any moment at all. The church uh, of Galatia had come to know Jesus. They had stepped out and followed in faith. And evidently it hadn't been such a long time, but something slipped in. Or somebody slipped in. And as far as they got now, they're moving away from faith in Christ Jesus. That they've gone back under the law and they've picked back up the works that they have to do this for salvation. And Paul shows up as an apostle of that day to say, wait a minute. Oh foolish Galatians, how how fast have you turned back from what God has done in your life? He couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. How could they go from this place where Jesus had just transformed them and now they're walking backwards or they've gotten further back than they were before Jesus ever came onto the scene? Notice something. He said they have been bewitched. The word bewitched there means to cast a spell over or to attract of interest or to attract or to interest someone a lot. So that you have the power of influence to them. To charm them. To fascinate them. I want to tell you it doesn't take much in this day to get our attention. It doesn't take much in this hour, in this moment of time to turn us. Because we're moved by sensation. We're moved by sensationalism. We're moved by every voice that comes in the land. Matter of fact, I think it was Paul that talked in one of the epistles. He tells us to beware of all the false prophets, of all the false teachers, of all the false doctrines that would arise in the days of head. Now keep in mind, that was way back there. We're way up here. And if it was that bad back there, how, how bad and how much influence has now come over the nations of people the generation that the generation doesn't know who it is anymore. I'll talk to you about my family, so that way I'll avoid. Uh, so I'll, I won't avoid. I'll, I'll avoid offending yours or you. The young lady that I just talked to, this Pastor Chris's sister, oldest sister, grew up in a Pentecostal home, traveled this nation, 
with her mom and dad preaching the gospel. She's seen the power of God, seen the goodness of God, experienced the glory of God. If you talk about a fireball of a young lady, that's who she was. That's who she really is. Let me say it like that. That's who she really is. But somewhere along the journey, because of whatever, years ago, something happened. And she began to backstep. But she didn't just backstep away from God. She's backstepped all the way from her belief. She's backstepped all the way from who she is. That no longer does she believe in the God of heaven in a sense. But she just believes in the God of universe. That nature is a God within itself. And she believes in good vibes and good sayings. And if you talk to her right now, that's how she would speak. But that's not how she started. As a family that grew up in a Pentecostal home. I mean, we just we didn't just grow up there. We lived this thing. Church was our life. Pastor, it's hard for me to imagine how did we get bewitched that they would slip away. I could say that in another nephew that's in the same boat out in California. My other brother's son. That, that once knew, played, had the call of God on his life. That is just passionate for the Lord. Had a desire that he wanted to be a Christian counselor. He wanted to crawl into the lives of people and help see and bring a change. But somewhere along the journey, he was bewitched. He began to be changed. He began to be transformed and he backstepped. And he's in the same spot that no longer does he really acknowledge and identify with God in any form or fashion. But what is so amazing about that story is, is when he comes home, I don't know how many times at Christmas, when he's come home over the year, he'll grab his guitar with the family. We'll sit down in the living room and he'll begin to play the old hymns of yesterday. You know what that tells me? I don't care how he's acting today. I don't care how far out they get today. It's still, there's a seed that's on the inside of them. And may I give hope to all of you that's got a family member that that has gotten away from God. That seed is still there. And I encourage you to call that life of the seed of the Word of God forth because that's who they really are. He said, who bewitched you? He called them foolish. And when he called them foolish, he was just saying, simply saying this. One that has become dull and sluggish of mind. Stupid and reckless in their thinking. See, it just didn't happen. He said, you've become dull in your thinking. You've become sluggish. Something has interfered. Something has grabbed hold. Something has moved in. And now you have turned away from the Lord. Paul is coming back. Paul as an apostle came to them and said, but wait a minute. He began to encourage. He said, I marvel in chapter 1 verse 6. I marvel how that you turned away so soon from him who called you into grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not not another. Paul was saying this. I can't imagine that you could go believe anything else but what has been laid through Jesus Christ. But many in the generation has picked up another doctrine. I guess what spawned this message was in my heart that I couldn't shake it off. I've been in several different meetings over the past couple of weeks and I keep hearing this phrase. 
from different men and women of God. And it keeps rising up. We've become a generation that has built upon a truth instead of the truth. Now think about it for a moment. We're living for a truth and not living in the truth. If the wall behind me were a brick wall, if I could use it like that, It is a wall built with bricks. The outside of this building has tens of thousands of bricks on it. Not one of those bricks alone make up the wall. But the wall is made up by tens of thousands of bricks. We spoke about healing this morning. That's why we demonstrate. Because we believe in healing. But it is not the whole truth of the gospel. It is a truth. In the midst of the gospel. Hello? If I picked up prosperity, I believe in prosperity. It is a truth in the midst of the gospel. I could say God is love. That is true. That is true. It is a truth in the midst of the whole wall. And so what has happened over the years, over time, a generation has raised up and we've grabbed a truth instead of uh, grabbed a truth in the middle of the truth instead of holding on to it all. And deception has crept in to a generation. Let me define this. I was praying about this. I'm telling you, I've struggled with even doing this. But I heard this yesterday as I was praying. You can be religious and not a Christian. Hello. There's religious people showing up everywhere today. But not a Christian. You can claim to be a Christian. But that just because you claim it doesn't mean anything. Unless it's revealed. You can be, a, you can be religious but not godly. Hello. You can be religious. I know religious people all the time. I, I, I love when I go to restaurants. I watch a lot of people, b- believe it more than what we give credit to, take a moment to pray over their meal. Now, I don't know that everybody praying over their meal is Christian. I'm not saying they're not. But sometimes when you're religious, see, religious people do religious activity. They may do it faithfully every every week. They've got a day. They'll do it. If you'll go with us to Trinidad, which we've been there many, many times now, among the Hindus. It's interesting because at at the corners of their properties, they'll have their flags of their gods. And so they've got all kinds. Some of them got a lot of flags. Some of them got a few flags. All of those flags represent one of their gods. You can even preach to them Jesus, and they will receive Jesus. But what they'll do is take their Christian flag, add it alongside all the other gods, so that they've just become religious. Maybe that's why, Miss Pia, Dad, Jesus said, or the Scripture said, there is no other way. There is no other God. He said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, you can be religious but not a Christian religious, but not godly. Let me define something for you. I believe true religion without the pursuit and hunger for Jesus is not Christianity. Let me say that again. Religion without the pursuit and hunger 
for Jesus is not Christianity. Let me break it down even further. Pursuit and hunger are revealed by the passion of one's worship. The passion of one's time of prayer and intimacy with Him. Our passion and our desire for His presence in our house, this house, but also in this house. And our, the passion of our actions to please Him. Well, I'm hungry for God. If you are and I never see you, I'm questioning you. Hello. Because if you're going to be passionate for Jesus, if you've got a hunger for Him, you're going to be where He's at. I've got a hunger for Popeye's. So when I get Popeye's, where do I head? Popeye's. Or if I got a, I know I'm making you hungry now. See, I'm stirring hunger is what I'm doing. If I've got a passion for Krispy Kremes, I'm not going to get it sitting at home. I passionately begin to make my way towards Krispy Kreme. Hello. I, I, I'll embarrass myself, but I'll, I'm going to say this anyway. If I'm passionate for intimacy with my wife, then I'm going to make my way to her. Come on, don't you? Don't you desire that? That's, that's how we do. So if we're going to say that we are, then that pursuit and hunger is going to have a demonstration. It's going to show something. The Bible said they were first called Christians in Antioch. And that was not a good thing. That was actually a slander against them. They were saying, wait a minute, you're acting like this one who calls himself Jesus. They were slandering those people for the name, for the tag they put on them. At Peter's denial, you remember when Peter denied the Lord? Three things were spoken about Peter when Peter showed up at the fire as he followed Jesus afar off. Here's what they said. One of them said, you're with him. There was enough evidence they had seen that Peter had been with Jesus. Here's the second thing they said. You are of him. In other words, you've been acting like he acts. Here's the third thing they said. You sound like him. Come on. If you're going to hang around Jesus, you're going to talk like Jesus. If you're going to hang around him, you're going to begin to act like him. If you're going to hang around him, others are going to see, hey, you've been with Jesus. Hello? Now we've got a lot of religious people but the model and the standard is Jesus. And see, the master deceiver comes along to begin to pull us away from whom we're supposed to be and who we really are. For example, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, it talks about this for you end time people. I'll throw one end time verse on you. Revelation, I believe it's verse 11. That serpent, that, de oath, that devil, that deceiver, that deceives, listen to what the Bible said. He deceives the nations. He deceives them. See, his assignment from the beginning was to begin to pull man away from the position of who they really were in God. 
Because God, when He created man, He created him in His image and after His likeness. So now, He has function and He has position to act like the one that created Him. So on the third chapter of the book of Genesis, chapter of the book of Genesis, the serpent comes in to deceive the woman. The Bible said he's the most subtle beast of the field. So here's what he says to her. Have you considered the tree that's in the midst of the garden? That's there. Oh yeah, I've seen it. See, he's not told any lie at this moment. He's not done anything. He's got a reality, a truth. Man, that tree is good for fruit. And he says, have you considered it? And she said, Yes, I have, but we can't touch it or eat of it lest we die. And then he starts in deeper. Because she's, get, he's, she's got, or he's got her ear. And I've often questioned, how could she pay attention to him so much? Because one thing I believe, this is me, I won't build a doctrine on it, so don't turn me off for saying this. I believe Adam and Eve could converse with those animals in a way. And that they had authority over them. They had already named them. And so it was not an unusual thing for an animal like your puppy to come nuzzle up. But at that time because of who they are. And what they had in them. They had a comprehension even of the thoughts of creation. And so when he begins to speak, it was not a weird thing. And then he speaks and says, have you seen? Yes. Well, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, that you will not surely die, but you will be like him, knowing good from evil. Amen. He takes a truth. That's in the tree. And he takes it. And he speaks it enough. And she said you know you're right. Why should I go hunting fruit anywhere else. When I got this tree right here. And she takes of it. And the moment she does. She dies. They both do. He, she turns. Gives to him. He eats of it. And they die. He's deceived her. He bewitched her into believing what God had told him. Yes, this is a good tree. Yes, it is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes, it's got much fruit on it, but don't touch it. Because if you touch it, you'll die. It's his nature to deceive. Do you ever think about this? It's the same thing that happened to Jesus in the temptation. In the wilderness. When he come out of the baptism and he goes in to be tempted of the devil. The first thing that he wants to tempt him with. If you be the son of God, command the bread to be made stones. If you be the son of God, takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And again, he takes a truth. If you be the son of God, cast yourself off this temple. Because God knows the day that you do. That he will give his angels charge over you. And they're going to sweep down. And they're going to pick you up. And they're going to hold you. A truth. Taken out of all the truth. It was a temptation. But Jesus overwrote him with the truth. It is written. 
So he comes to deceive. Matter of fact, one of the marks of the end time, everybody's looking at what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia. Is this the mark of the end time? Jesus said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and there's going to be all this stuff that's going to take place. But then he said this, don't be deceived. Matter of fact, he didn't say it once. He said it several times. <coughs> and he said deception was going to be so great that if possible, my very elect will be deceived. You, you know, you know. I, let me break it down like this. I believe when he was saying that my very elect, he said, even those that call, even those that call them my church, if not careful, will be deceived. That's what he said. What happened in the last days? And we've got to watch. We've got to guard. May I tell you that this revival that we're in and that has begun is not just about the harvest. That is to be gathered into the church. But I believe it's about the prodigals. If you remember a few months ago. Or just a couple of months ago. He said the prodigals are going to come back home. I believe prophet Tim Woodson spoke that. See we think about the prodigals that left the building. But may I tell you. There's a lot of prodigals that show up in church. Every Sunday morning. That have really left the truth. And are living their own life. But satisfy their own hearts. And justify it through the truth. A truth that they present. To say this is how I'm supposed to live. And I believe God is calling his church back to him. Back to that righteous standard. Back to that righteous place. I believe it with all my heart. We're all being challenged. We're all being checked. Are you okay? See it's been watered down enough. The gospel, the message has gotten watered down enough over the years. We don't even know what the real tastes like anymore. Unless you're an absolute connoisseur that you won't have anything else. I don't see him here this morning, but I was going to use him as his example is Matt. Matt's a coffee drinker. He grinds his own stuff. He doesn't just go to Kroger and get a, or, you know, Walmart and grab a bag of stuff. I mean, he gets the good beads. I don't know where he, I, he probably orders them from somewhere else. He's brought me some of it. He's got his own dryer. He grinds that stuff up. And he'll make his own coffee. Now if you're like me, I don't like real strong heavy coffee. I just don't like it that way. But him, on another hand, mm. that's the way he's going to drink it. But you can take that and start watering it down enough. It's kind of like we've gone to a restaurant before my wife loves soup. And she'll order soup. And they'll bring it, especially if we're there at the end of the day. And I've heard her say, they just added water to this. What were they doing? They were stretching it out. It was still called soup. But it doesn't have, it's been so watered down anymore that somebody that knows and somebody that's tasted it will know this is not the way it's supposed to taste because it's been watered down. But those that don't know better just come and pay $5 for a watered-down bowl of water. Hello. And that's what's happened to a lot of church. We don't know what's true anymore. Because we've ripped, we've, we've, thank God, I believe this house has tried to preach the truth as much as we know how. But I believe there's probably times and areas we've missed somewhere, Miss Judy. But there's a lot of places and a lot of people that are just feeding on water and don't know the truth. 
And we've got to turn back to it. How did we get this way? Listen, I'm not just talking about how did our world get to the point it is? It didn't happen overnight. It didn't show up because some joker decides he wants to be bad. How did Newsweek, was it Newsweek or one of the magazines, national magazines, make the woman of the year? I don't even know what you call it. But a man that, that is a transvestite, a government official, and have declared before the nation the woman of the year. And it really doesn't move us except while we're here. How is it that the sports world now is contending with young men that want to go through the transformation, can become a part of a woman's swimming team, and think that he still won't be stronger than they are. Hello, I, I love these people. I'm, I'm trying to make a strong point. A generation has been bewitched. How is it that in our school system, in our school system, in Iowa, they were telling me, was it Iowa? Wisconsin. They were telling, in the early, early elementary, elementary student classes, that they have presented books, books that are very, uh, what's the word? Very illustrated to show them the sexual activity of the other side so that they'll know how people are supposed to function. And the school system will not remove it even though parents are rising up and are saying that we have more knowledge of how to take care of your kid and the kids of the generation than you as parents do. How did we get in that place? How did the generation get so far away from God that I have to spend a Sunday morning talking about some of this? How did we get there? How did we get there when men want to be women, women want to be men? My wife was watching a documentary, correct me if I'm wrong, over the Playboy Club and Hugh Hefner. And she was watching from a person that was an executive that had details and watched this stuff go on. And these beautiful young ladies that went, many of them went there innocently. But you know what happens after they get in the door. And one of them watched out and said, you think that guy's a good guy? Did, I've watched him have sex with a dog. She said that was enough. And his words were, even the animals like pleasure. I'm making a point. How did we get so far? How did we move from this place of, of what is right and what is wrong? Unless we, the generation, have been bewitched and we don't know it's all around us. See, we're all getting excited about hearing their story next week. And it is a great story. But how is it that so much addiction has slipped into our world? And even among people that you would never ever dream. I'm not talking about the guy that shoots up out on the street. 
I'm talking about the families that live that way. How is it now that in our major, in, our, in all of our communities, even here in Cape Girardeau, there are more of the CBD shops of the, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, than just about anything in town anymore. When everything else is shutting down, they're coming up. How did we get to that point? Lest we the church, I'm going to say it like that. Lest we the church have become lulled to sleep. We've become foolish in our thinking. In the book of Deuteronomy, i got to land this jet real quick because y'all looking really serious now. I guess it was the, maybe it was the Popeye's chicken stirred something in you. Don Carlos tacos, come on. God said this. He said, remember the Lord your God. That's the title, topic, the title of the, of, in, my, in my Bible of Deuteronomy 8. He said, every command which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of the Lord. The Lord which possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that it was the Lord your God that led you out. And brought you this way. I'm not going to read all of these verses. Then he says. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Of brooks and water. This is verse 7. Of fountains and springs and such as that. And in chapter 8 verse 18. He said don't forget. You shall remember it is the Lord your God. For it is he that has given you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant with you. But before he ever got to that point, he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he called them together and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Matter of fact, you have to keep in context of what was going on. They just come out of 400 something years of bondage. They've just come out of 400 and something years of watching every idol under the sun being displayed before them. And when God steps, He said, I'm the one that delivered you. I'm the one that brought you here. I'm the one that's promised to bless you. And I'm bringing you into a place that you can't imagine. Back there, you were living in homes that weren't yours. Back there, you were, you were satisfied with onions and leeks. But I'm going to bring you into a land that flows with milk and honey till you'll eat bread till you're full. You'll have vineyards you didn't plant houses you didn't build he said it's all going to be yours but he said know this the Lord your God is one God there are no other gods out there we're not a God within ourselves. there is one God he is Lord and he is Lord of all I believe in that one word was the capsule was the whole capsule capsule of the Ten Commandments when he started out and said thou shalt have no other gods before you. The second thing he said you shall not make any graven image. The third thing he said he said you shall not take my name in vain. The fourth thing he said is you shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy because that will keep you before me. And then he read the other six that deal relationally with how we deal with others. Because if we don't get the first four right, I'll never honor a mom and dad the way they need to be honored. If I don't get the first four right, I'll never love my brother no matter how many programs they put me in. If I don't get the first one right, there will always be racism and division. If I don't get the first one right, there will always be murder and theft and all these crazy things that go on. But he said, he said, this is so strong. Listen, moms and dads. He said, you teach them to your children. For a Hebrew child, they would learn, memorize the Torah. 
Those first five books, that's a lot of stuff. Basically the meat of that. They would have to memorize those things as children. He said, you teach your children. You talk of it at your table. You talk about it when you're taking a walk through the park. You live this thing. Let it be as frontlets to your eyes and as, as brands upon your hands. He said, this is who you are. We don't teach it. It don't take but one generation. One of the saddest verses, and I quoted it to you many times, is found in the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. And it says this. After Joshua brought all the people in, it said, when all that generation has been gathered to him, gathered to their fathers, another generation rose up, listen to these words, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. How did that happen? One generation is all it took. One generation to be deceived. One generation to stop doing what God had said was so righteous and so holy. And that a generation. You see what happens? You know, as a pastor, I hear it all the time. I'm not going to come to your church because your church isn't fun. No, I've heard everything under the sun. I want to go where it's fun. I want to go where we can have a good time. I want to go. Because see, we don't know the works of God. We're not looking for God. We're looking for fun. I got to go where the program is, where, you know, meet my social need. I'm not here to meet a social need. I'm here to introduce you to the one that will transform your life. Come on, church. Your social need will be met out of him. Because until you meet him, you ain't going to know how to relate to anybody. Hello. So it says, they did not know the Lord. Nor did they know the work that the Lord had done for Israel. How sad. My God, how sad that is. Why? Because we don't talk it no more. We don't live it no more. Well, I'm satisfied because I can watch it on TV. I'm telling you, there's a truth. And thank God for technology. And all my friends watching, I know COVID has scared the whatever out of us. But it still doesn't take us away from God's Word. And I know it may be easier with your children to sit at home and watch us on TV. But it's still, that is a truth that, hey, I'm worshiping the Lord. But there's another truth in that. He said, don't forsake this assembling. Don't forsake this time that we come together personally to corporately to get in agreement with Him. We can't. Well, pastor, you, you guys are just too hard. They ain't nobody hard. You know, pastor, y'all still into works. I'm into love. God's a God of love. Yeah, I agree. The only reason you're not dead because he's love. The only reason you didn't get burned in your shoes is because God is a God of love. But it doesn't exempt me from living a life that, wait a minute, I got born again. I'm not supposed to live like I did before I got born again. He said, come out from among them and be you separate. I heard a great word the other day. Because see, here's the church. Well, I don't want to go get in the world because if I get in the world, I'm going to get messed up. You've heard that stuff. You can. 
Because that's where you got messed up. But I heard somebody say this a few weeks ago and I thought, man, this is good. There's a difference between being insulated and isolated. Hello? I can be insulated and the things of this world can't touch me. But if I isolate myself, I can't touch the world. Hello? I'm so glad I got a house to live in because when that temperature dropped down to zero, man, we cooked that fireplace on and 77 hit real quick. Why? How could that happen? It's zero. The wind is blowing outside because of the insulation. So are you insulated? Or are you isolating? Maybe we ought to look at that with COVID. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He gives his angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. I know some of us got hit. I got hit by it. But thank God we're still living in here. We're still living. And Charlie's not on oxygen. Hallelujah. I'm landing the jet right here. Anybody ever heard of a man by the name of William Booth? Founder of the Salvation Army. Born in 1829 in Nottingham, England. When he was 15 years old, he gave his life to Jesus. And became a radical Methodist evangelist. Preaching Jesus. And he went after souls at 15 years old. Had one passion, win everybody he could for Jesus. His doctrine and his belief was this. If you don't accept Jesus, your eternity is going to be one of hell. That was his message. That's how he believed. As he grew up, he took a job in a pawn shop, found a wife. But come from a home that had been prosperous and a father that lost it all. He could not. He could not handle the poverty. He could not handle the dirt, the squalor, and all that people were living in. And it put in him, (coughs) not only to preach to them Jesus, but he wanted to bring them out. He wanted to help as many as he could. So he founded this organization that he betrayed out of the British Army. And that's why it's called the Salvation Army. And he was the first general of the Salvation Army. He passed away. He passed away in 1912. But before he died, he left this word as he looked into the future. He said, I consider the chief dangers facing our generation are these. One, religion without the Holy Ghost. I'm thinking, wow. Over a hundred years ago, a man looked into the future and he saw what was happening among the church today. That we've relegated the Holy Spirit to step outside. We're smarter than he is. We don't need him. We don't need him moving in our services. Either that or I look at it totally wrong. Matter of fact, you can't get born again without him. John said it like this in John 3 as he spoke to Nicodemus. He said, except you are born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot come into the kingdom if you're not born of the Spirit. He said, I see it. 
a generation that will be religious without the Holy Ghost. Second thing he said when he looked out, he said it's Christianity without Christ. Church, we have to talk about the cross. We have to talk about that sacrifice. That I was on my way to hell. I was a sinner that had no chance, no hope. But Jesus came and became the propitiation, the acceptable sacrifice for my sin. And shed His blood on a cross. He died for you and I. You're the reason He went to that cross. Pastor, don't offend them. We've got where we don't want people offended. And they're offending us. Because of their vileness, their wickedness. But he said, I see it. There'll be a day when Christianity will not truly mark who Jesus really is. The third thing he said is forgiveness without repentance. I've preached a lot about repentance. So has many others. We know what repentance means. It means to have a change of mind. It means to turn around. But when this verse, when that came up in me, the words of David came back to me. When David sinned against the Lord, and David comes back repentant before God, and this is what he said, against you and you only have I sinned. See, you can have a change of mind, but why? If you don't know why you're repenting or turning around, you're really just taking up another idea. You've really never repented. Somewhere I have to come to that point in my life if I'm not living for Christ to say, Jesus, only against you have I done. I've not lived the life that you've told me. I've walked my way. I've done my thing. I've lived lawless. See, repentance is acknowledging that I have sinned against the greater. But the church has come to the point to where just change your mind and everything will be okay. And so what happens is we don't last long. We just go back to the same old lifestyle. He said, repent. Acts 2.38, Peter stood out on the day of Pentecost. This verse has brought more controversy among the church than just about any. But there's more truth in it than at all. When he said, repent all of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin. He said, totally give your life to Jesus is what he's saying. He paid it all. Here's a third, fourth thing. I'm, I'm just about done. Salvation without regeneration. See, friend, if you're really saved, you're not going to live like you did yesterday. You can't. Holy Ghost ain't going to let you. If you're really born again, you're not going to live like the world. Well, pastor, I no. Why do you think Paul said, put off the old conversation? You see, I can be born again. Listen, let me help everybody. Not everybody gets saved and delivered at all the same time. Even though it's at work. So now some people, they've been delivered. They just got to start thinking. They've got to change their mind to know this is how I, as a believer, have to walk and live. Why would the world 
need to come and be a part of us if we're just like them. I'll be honest. I'd rather be somewhere else sometimes. I'd be on the lake fishing or on the lake skiing, whatever we do. But because of Jesus, I know I don't do what the world does. Are you perfect, Pastor? No. I blow it. I fail. I stumble. I get up real quickly and say, Father, forgive me. I blew it. I failed. Church isn't about perfect people. It's about imperfect people needing a perfect Savior. But we're constantly being renewed day by day. Are you okay? Here's the two more and I'm done. Here's the fifth one. Politics without God. Boy, hasn't this crept in. It doesn't matter what a person believes. It doesn't matter. Politics is what governs our land and our life. But it doesn't matter. They're a good person. Let's throw them in there. Let them, let them take our children. Let them take our land. Let them take. Do you know where the whole idea of all this came from anywhere? Anyway? It came from Israel. In the Old Testament. When the sons of Samuel weren't living right. When the church wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. The people rose up and said, Hey, we're tired of this mess. Make us a king that we can be like all the nations of the world. It's in the Bible. And man, Samuel's upset. God said, wait a minute, they don't have a problem with you, Jack. They got a problem with how I'm governing them. But you tell them, if that's what they want, I'll give it to them. But first, tell them. So he said, the first thing that's going to happen is going to take your children, future generations. Second thing they're going to get, they're going to get your lands. They're going to get your property. We all grumble and gripe about the taxes we're having to pay upon what we've got. Could be a reason behind that far greater than just somebody saying we need this to take care of our streets. They're going to take your goods. They're going to take your worship. They're going to take everything. He said, if that's what they want, I'll give it to them. So they said, we want to be like the nations of the earth. Give us a key. And so they did. The Bible said, the Bible says that righteousness exalts the nation. As the king goes, so does the nation go. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody. But I've watched people, it wouldn't matter what they believed in as long as, oh, I like him. I like her. I'm glad. Oh, no, I'll leave it alone because I don't want to offend anybody. But our truth is there. Politics without God. They murder millions of babies and stand for it, but because they'll put money in my pocket over here, I can tolerate that. I'm sorry. Did you ever notice the money trail through the Bible? That money? Oh, think about this one. I preached this on Wednesday night. Most of you weren't here the night I did it. First time I ever saw it. That's not a slam. You just weren't here. First time I ever saw this. You remember when Mary was anointing the feet of Jesus with the costly oil? 
Judas, the son of Simon, was watching over her, saying, wait, we could feed a lot of hungry people with what you're doing. I thought, wait a minute. Let me look that again. Judas, the son of Simon. I'd never seen that. Many times I read that story. I got to looking at that through the script history, tried to find an answer to it. I never got a solid answer, but most that I read from said that the belief was or the thought was that Judas was Peter's son. Now think about this. Peter denied him and Judas, the son, betrayed him. And it was all about money. Paul was imprisoned because of money. All through the scripture, money carries the road. And yet we have politics that's left without God. And God's trying to get money in your pocket. Here's the last one. Heaven without hell. Wow. Heaven without hell. Well, Pastor, we just need to be positive in our thinking that everybody's going to go to heaven. Okay, I will. Let's be positive. I'm going to tell you right now, all of you are going. Everybody's going to see heaven. Now I'm going to get negative. Not everybody's going to stay. But you're all going to go. And you're going to stand before the seat of Jesus. You know, there's a story that Jesus spoke. It's written in red. In the book of Luke, chapter 16. About a rich man and Lazarus. A rich man that fared sumptuously every day. And poor Lazarus that begged. And this rich man would do very little to help him. The Bible said that the, that the poor man Lazarus died and was carried up into the bosom of Abraham. And the rich man died and went into hell. And looking up and seeing Lazarus, he was crying out. God, deliver me out of this. God speaks to him. I'm paraphrasing he said, let me out of this place. I don't want to be here. Sorry. You had your moment back there. But you refused to accept that moment of time. He said, just give me a drop of water to cool my tongue in. Just give me a drop. Sorry. This is going to be torment the rest of your eternity. And then he speaks this. He said, sir, I've got five brothers. I've got five brothers. Would you please let me go? Would you let me go back? Let me go tell my brothers. Let me go share with them, lest they come into this place as well. He said, sir, if they wouldn't hear that, what makes you think they're going to hear you? And he said, as far as you've been able to go there, he said, there is a great gulf fixed. This is what's going to make hell so bad. I really believe it. Is that all of hell will be able to see the activity of heaven. And heaven will not pay attention to hell. That's what, and you're going to think, I could have been there. That's where I'm supposed to be. How could I wind up here? opportunity a heaven 
without hell. I'm not going to tell you all of you're going to, you're, the way you're going to live. You're going to live any way you're going to. You're going to make heaven. That He's just a God that forgives. He is a God for, that forgives to those that comes running to Him.